Hello, citizens. You may be uh, hearing an unfamiliar voice coming down the pipes into your beautiful little carved eardrums. That is because there has been a coup at the Big Shiny Takes Institute. That's right. You're listening to Big Shiny Takes, once a bastion of free speech, but now, much like Chile on September 11th, uh, this has now become the world's only anti-free speech podcast. <laughs> is that what happened in Chile? It became a podcast. Yeah, I mean, there was a there was a coup. Yeah, Chile became the Pinochet-created podcast. Yeah. Not good, folks. You know, Jeremy Appel is actually the Allende of this group because he is not with us. He has been deposed. His uh, final message... <laughs> His final message to the people was locked down. It will never be released. <laughs> Pour one out for a real one. You know, I mean, we'll build a statue in his honor. We'll paint some stuff, write some poetry. And um, in a couple of years, I'll be put on trial for war crimes. And uh, I'll escape them because I'll have been dead. <laughs> um, you are actually listening to Big Shiny Takes, the world's only anti-free speech podcast. Uh, joining me are my co-hosts, uh, the... Supple little boy, Eric Wickham. That's me. Say hello, <laughs> That's Eric. me. That's how I describe yeah. myself. It's on my resume, actually. Our, our beautiful, cherubic man, Eric Wickham. <laughs> um, and our uh, our Toronto homeowner. That's right, folks. Not a condo, not a, wow. dude, not a townhouse. Detached homeowner. Wow. Um, Marino Greco. Say hello, Marino. Those are uh, unfounded lies and suggestions i don't know where you got that information um, you can d you can dm me for the actual address just so you know uh at, at marks gasol on twitter um uh mr eggman if you're listening to this uh you know a toronto hero who we definitely do not know who that is uh you can always text me and i'll give you a wow. carton of eggs a food basics gift card and a uh and an address um, but today on the podcast, you know, uh, on the podcast, we usually read an article from one of Canada's many poison-brained political wonks, and we turn, you know, I, I like how all these websites now have, like, it takes four minutes to read this. Well, we turn that four minutes into 40, motherfuckers. <laughs> so we get every last drop of content out of that piece of shit. <laughs> We are just sucking the teat of this content until it's dry and there's only blood coming out. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, like this this week we are uh, we are talking about a article that came out on February seventh, but is uh, sort of evergreen in terms of how much it really just hates humanity. Fucking awful! It is from Adam Pankratz. Eric, do you want to let us know a bit more about who Adam Pankratz? Yes, is? yes, I do actually. So Adam Pankratz is a lecturer out in British Columbia. You would think by the the subject matter of this column, maybe he'd be, you know, someone involved in uh, criminology or, you know, addictions treatment. But no, he teaches business. Wow. Shocking. <laughs> Whenever we read something by a professor in, you know, some rag like the National Post, we like to go on a little website called uh, RateMyProfessors.com, and uh, we like to read the less enthusiastic reviews. So, off the top, Adam, not a great score. He's a three point three out of five. Not great. He's got seven five stars, which is great. Thirteen ones. I've got a. I've got a few of my favorite reviews in front of me. If you'd like to hear some of them, sure. Please. Yes, please. Okay, here's the first one. Very vague, fluffy lectures, unprepared for class. 
skips class for personal issues, invites lecturers to lecture so that he doesn't need to lecture himself, and then brackets, it says, probably unprepared, wears a full suit to look prepared. I chose specifically not to take him again. Easily one of the worst, and then in scare quotes, profs, I've ever had in four years at UBC. <laughs> Second one is stay away, disorganized class, and rude, egotistic professor. I beg you, take any other class. <laughs> so, so not super popular with the student body. Like, I listen, I, I know people that took business in school, so um, I understand that the kids are probably like a little bit cutthroat and probably not super nice, <laughs> but business profs don't seem much better. And I think this column really speaks to that in a, in a horrible way, because this is like a psychotic take. Yeah. You know, it takes, it takes a village to raise a child. Um, and every, just remember every shitty business student you've ever met, and let's be honest, they're all bad, was raised by uh, a man like Adam Pankratz. Yes. Yes. Uh, like, and, and so just for, I mean, posterity, I feel like we should explain what uh, <laughs> what this column is about before we really get into it. This is something that you brought to the table, actually, Abdul, before we started recording. You asked if we could uh, record this episode. What stuck out to you specifically about Adam's uh, foray into the culture war? Listen, society, and especially these like warm brain diseased fucking people, like they hate users of substance they hate people who have addiction issues and stuff like Mm -hmm. that but like they largely put on like some sort of semi-compassionate front you know i mean because like it's just considered being a good person to like have empathy uh and adam pankrat said not today (laughs) (laughs) he said you know what i'm destigmatizing like the veneer of, of being a good person or an empathetic person to those who like literally is a function of how our disease society is are left out in the cold or you know given a lack of social supports the articles like just the headline alone eric yeah yeah and on top of that i feel like this column it pulls back all the veneer of like oh we should feel bad but it also is too cowardly to come out and say it as bluntly as you just put it like it it avoids being like i actually think that everybody who does drugs should die which is kind of like the overwhelming feeling you get when you read it he likes to you know say things that are fun like hey people should feel ashamed we should stigmatize these people and uh i'm tired of saying that we shouldn't And what does stigmatization mean, right? It means we should move them to a place where where they feel afraid to come out in public, where they feel afraid to get support, where they feel afraid to to walk down the fucking street at night, right? Like, we're basically saying kill them with extra steps. In fact, like, it would even be more noble, and under no circumstances it's actually noble, but it would be more noble to be like, maybe we should just do mercy killings. No, it's like, let people... <laughs> fucking die under underpasses and on the street Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. what i mean stuff like that Uh, because you know shame and stigma based approaches to harm reduction have always worked they're they're notorious for working um (laughs) some say they work too well yeah 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 that's why people who have usually got through that process you know we never hear from them again um i wonder why it's because they're good 
it's uh, funny because it comes from this place of and i don't want to like get too into it before we actually read this absolute dog shit piece it sounds like it's going to be a real treat uh but it just comes from this like i think it comes from this place of we're keeping it real you know this very shallow like analysis that like you know drugs are bad okay so you know these people should be like uh feeling uh bad about it in a very broad sense without like realizing the harm that those kind of attitudes can cause or like taking you know, a more nuanced look at it and it's just sort of betraying adam as a dumb dumb simpleton brain i also feel like it plays into the larger sort of nationwide and i mean continent-wide discourse about um how we should be treating people who are in need of assistance, right? Visible homelessness Mm -hmm. has been on the rise across North America. And in Toronto, the response to that has been more cops on subways, right? (laughs) We're not reopening any shelters. We're not opening up warming centers. We are pushing people farther to the margins. Um, I mean, there's there's one warming center. (laughs) I think my sister got in the budget that's open till April. Um, Good job, Councillor Malik. You know, but one warming center isn't enough. Ten wouldn't be enough. Like here in Edmonton, like I was gone for seven months. You know what I mean? It the city just sort of fucking spiraled out of control. You know what I mean? Like Chinatown area, which has always sort of been unfairly stigmatized for being more dangerous than a lot of parts of the city, is just like you know, half the half of Chinatown's become an encampment, and I don't think they should do anything to remove it but it's like a very telling sign that that the social supports that like barely existed Mm pre-covid um are just completely obliterated right like just there is nothing left uh to say nothing of the fact that everything's also getting more expensive etc etc right Yeah. yeah so there's a stat that i heard in a podcast that i edit for press progress called press progress sources that everybody should listen to when they have a chance uh there was an interview of michael jans who's a counselor out in edmonton and the oh jansy jansy and the thing that uh michael said in the interview was that last winter there were over 250 amputations um performed on homeless people in Edmonton explicitly to treat frostbite. And this has been a milder winter. There has been, there's been, you know, rougher times, but like, I can't, I can't imagine the the level of support that the unhoused community is getting right now could be much better than last year. Right. Like there's, there's more people on the street and there's, there's less doctors to treat people. Oh no, things are like palpably terrible. Yeah, I mean, it's also just like, you know, people are talking about crime waves on public transit, a bunch of other stuff. And it's like, you know, it's it's not an outcome of like randomness, which is a lot of how I think our media has been playing it. Um, and also that it's also a lot of like how regular people like I don't want to use the word normies, but like normal people are interpreting right. it. Right. It's like if your material conditions are are largely satisfied um and you've just like lived the last 15 years just like going through the motions you'll notice this without necessarily having like i think a a meaningful diagnosis about what's causing it and stuff like that i mean and and i will say you know i i might have if michael jansen's listening to this we're not gonna be friends i did vote for michael jansen's opponent yeah i mean but like edmonton under especially with him like taking charge on a lot of stuff has been 
making a lot of like impressive strides in a lot of ways the city's city council is more progressive than toronto's right just because you don't have the suburbs uh you know the reactionaries in those neighborhoods like um voting people in as much right like the distribution's very different but even then like you know you can do pretty much everything and still fail like just you need supports that are greater than what the municipality has powers to provide right that's why for example like safe supply is such a big deal is like that i mean i guess the city could take a gamble on safe supply at municipal level i don't know who would but it sort of needs to be a provincially led project right among other things like uh, in alberta the Kenny government before Daniel Smith took over closed a bunch of safe injection sites, for example. Yes. Yeah. Right. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're just trying to kill people and you're going for like more holistic sort of uh, treatment systems, like abstinence based systems that don't fucking work. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, yeah. Just straight up do not work. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, we're doing this because it's the most compassionate thing to do. It's like, well, no, actually, you're killing more people. And then, and then the other part of it is like fucking uh, the billionaire Cates, Daryl Cates, fucking shut down Boyle Street, the best community service uh, organization in Edmonton for people who are like need support. And then they got a grant to open up a new location in Chinatown that the Chinatown Business Association shut down and is currently in a legal battle with because it's run by fucking rich reactionaries who don't want unhoused people in their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking about now this is just a, a basically doing genocide. Samir Singh, who if any of you meet on Twitter, um, is just a bad person, was like, so I can tell you've never been a small business owner. You don't know how they're <laughs> feeling. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, my guy. I, I do <laughs> um, not trust anybody who talks about, you know, business owners as like an oppressed class. Oh, man, it's uh, it's bad. It's it's fucking hideous. Yeah, things are bad and the discourse around the things that are bad is, I would say, worse, right? The way that the media has been covering this absolute unfettered uh, crime wave on the subway system and people just getting hacked up by machetes and stuff if you, uh, if you let the, the narrative take control, right? It's sort of like, it's sort of like the, the toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic, yeah. right? Like if you start talking about it, it just becomes this like sensation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they start talking about why ridership is going down because you're facilitating this like insane media skept- like frenzy about a crime wave that like you know could be easily solved by not hiring for transit cops and doing a bunch of other shit. Like running one more train car. To say nothing of the fact about centralization, right? Like there's a big issue in Toronto as well, and and every city where you centralize, you try to centralize your homeless population. Like you do that with um like Vancouver is a great example of this, right? Like East Hastings, where you try to sort of force everyone into this place in Edmonton, it is Chinatown. And it's like, oh, maybe, maybe, you know, opening up these places all over the city might be actually a better way to support people so everyone's not fighting for like the 20 shelter beds in one neighborhood you know what i mean on a night where it's hyper cold but also like nimbyism and full force right like yeah it, i just to me and maybe this should be the final point before we get into the column i'm sorry if we're ending on a point from me but it, this feels like a problem that was created by cities and now is being solved by not being addressed the logical endpoint for for the way that a lot of cities are handling themselves and a lot of 
you know, culture war pundits are, are saying is they just want to kill everybody under the poverty line. It's fucked. Yep. It's bleak. Um, anyway, so this article, uh, the headline is the headline is maybe BC's drug addicts should have to face shame and stigma. Anyone who has driven or walked down East Hastings can tell you that the lax approach to drugs has only created more suffering. What? By Adam Pankratz, special to the National Post. So, like, his reference for this is someone who's used, like, a road as, like, an RT, like, a way of getting through the city as, like, an expert opinion on this whole thing. <laughs> this is the perspective he's using. Yeah. And the photo that's carried with it is just fucking awful. It's a photo of someone smoking a crack pipe with, like, um, city of Vancouver workers in the background who have a police escort. Yes, yes. So in the foreground is someone who's very, uh, I would say, visibly unhoused. Like, you can tell this guy's on the street. He's smoking crack. He's wearing, like, an old Yankees hat. And then in the background, blurry is what Abdul was describing, or it's city workers with a police escort. Have you read the caption for this photo? Yeah, it's a uh, city of worker, city of Vancouver workers clean the sidewalks in the downtown east side with a police escort in Vancouver, BC on June 19th, 2022. So A, they went back a year to find this photo. B, like I just, as a former professional photographer, I have a huge bone to pick with the concept of largely of street photography in general. I know a lot of photographers do not share this view, whatever. I don't give a fuck. Um, but also, like, there is there is something to be said about, like, how about you just don't take photos of, like, society's most vulnerable who cannot, like, yeah consent to having their photo taken, who probably do not want to be seen uh, using substances, right? Like, and then run it in the one of the country's largest newspapers. Yes, one of this country's few national newspapers and easily the worst, right? One that's like, yeah, one that's read by like yeah. some of this country's shittiest people. People who don't acknowledge this subject's humanity, right? And then I also, I think that this caption is specifically cowardly because the photo is very stark. It's very um, abrupt and it, it like, it gets your attention because this man is just smoking crack. The caption doesn't have the guts to even call it what it is. It's kind of being tongue in cheek and talking about the the employees in the back, right? Right. Really, the methods that are being employed here to present this information are really to create a narrative that is like putting yourself in Mr. Pankrat's shoes, like putting yourself into like what he sees when he goes down the street, what he's focusing on, his perception and assumption of what suffering is through his lens, you know, and. Um, I I looked up the photographer's like best shots. It, he exclusively shoots. It appears for the um, for the post and the uh, and like national post papers, right? Like the Sun, uh, post media stuff. Um, and like I looked at like the Vancouver Suns, like Nick Porcalo's uh, top photos of the year, and it's like photos of people being arrested, a photo of pride, obviously, like really hot thirst traps of the Vancouver police's new uh police trucks and stuff like that like this guy has a hard on for just like photographing human misery in a sensationalist way like um he's the nightcrawler yeah 
Yeah, it's like very ambulance chasey shit with like a very clear political intent. Like to be honest, a lot of not all of them, some of them are very good, but like a lot of like um you know, West Coast, uh, you know, sort of central Canada news photographers. Like I'm thinking specifically of like Curtis Kumo and Edmonton are very much like this. Right? Like just it their their politics and photography is so weird because it's often presented as like some kind of objective medium that's just carried alongside political editorials and stuff but like a lot of these photographers have an agenda that very much lines up with like the papers that they work for or that they primarily shoot for right i think this is totally one of those cases and it's like very targeted yeah and i mean not to bring it back to the caption but like i do feel like this picture is a great (laughs) metaphor for this piece altogether because it pretends that the the subject in the foreground is like the point of the piece. It pretends to have concern for these people, but really the only people that matter are the people that he relates to, the people that he acknowledges the humanity of. The people who aren't in focus, by the mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Yeah, it's so weird. These people matter because they work for the city. Like that was a choice that they made for the caption. What the fuck? I don't know. They're thinking, like, we can't mention it. Yeah, it's like, well, you posted the fucking picture. So, like, at least have the guts to show, like, show that you're a piece of shit. Write it down, you know? Describe what the photo is. And and so (laughs) I I find this particularly cowardly because they could only go halfway with their dipshittery. It's very in tone with the rest of the article. Like, I'll put it that way. Like, the cowardice begins here and carries through right to the end. Yes, 100%. Well, I think that's a good note to you know, maybe start off on. Abdul, do you want to read this one? Yes. Hell yeah. Vancouver, BC has decriminalized drug possession of 2.5 grams of cocaine, MDMA, meth, and opioids, including heroin, in case you didn't know what a fucking opioid was. (laughs) Those those in favor hail it as a victory against stigma, while opponents worry it will have unintended consequences. We will leave the public policy debate to others. No, we won't. But we'll ask another very pertinent question. What's wrong with stigma? Just disingenuous from the beginning to the end, right? Like of that opener, like, oh, opioids. Don't you know what opioids? It's heroin, right? Yeah. Unintended consequences. Like what unintended consequences? Not throwing people in jail on a fucking possession charge? Like no one's going to rush out to buy 2.5 grams of H because it's decriminalized all of a sudden. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, now that it's allowed. Get me that yayo. That's, you know, it's like people fucking lining up outside their dealer's house on midnight of decriminalization day. Like, yeah, I, I really take issue with the idea that what's wrong with stigma is a pertinent question because this is like a question that would be asked by um, the Catholic Church. You know what I mean? Like, this is. <laughs> Like, what do you mean? Like no, they would ask. They would ask, "What's wrong with stigmata?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, guys, what's wrong with marginalizing the people that are already on the margins of society? What what could possibly go wrong? What could that cause? It's such a dumb, bad faith question. It's hideous, and like also that we will leave the public policy debate to others is like the what is this conversation? <laughs> if not an attempt to influence public policy and public opinion, like the editorial editorials are not meant to engage any sort of uh, po- like policy debates uh, amongst human beings, right? They're just like they're just a mouthpiece 
for this guy to to talk. By the way, have you read his Twitter bio? No, no. Um, no. In the his Twitter bio is one sentence. In the small moment between the calamity and the catastrophe, we may as well have a glass of champagne. Shut up. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not lying. You can look it up. No, I believe you. Um, I just I hate this guy. Um, I do feel like we will leave the public policy debate to others would be a great ending to a column that was only like three lines long. Like if it just ended right there, like all right, okay. If he, sick. If you stopped it here, we will leave the public policy. Yeah. While opponents worry it will have unintended consequences, we will leave the public policy debate to others. Done. Hey, it's none of my business. (laughs) (laughs) We as a society claim we don't like to stigmatize or judge and say shame is bad, but this is to act foolishly. Shame and stigma is how we show errant members of society that they need to reform their ways and change for the better. Looking around the world these days, one can't help but feel a little more shame would go a long way. I would like this guy to be dressed naked and walk down East Hastings with, like, the nuns from Game of Thrones ringing a fucking bell behind him. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like, really, like, what we should do is we should stigmatize Adam Pankratz. (laughs) It's, I think, the, the ultimate outcome of this article. I agree with him. We should stigmatize, judge, and shame the errant members of society. People like Adam Pankrantz. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. Like, I I feel like people who voluntarily engage in the culture war are much, mm-hmm. much worse for society than someone who is addicted to a substance. Truthfully, like, none of it's also based in fucking reality, right? Like, what what research is he going is he using to prove? And actually, that's also one of the things about this article is that the research itself that he's he barely cites research. And if he mm-hmm. does, it's like been categorically disproven or it's outside the norm of like what modern research in harm reduction is saying. Right. Like I I will go back and just quickly do a shout out to like doctors like Kim Sue, Ryan McNeil all the people who host like the crackdown podcast and all the research they cite is exceptional, extraordinary. Um, Hillary Agro in Toronto, like there are people who, who live and breathe this shit who will discredit you in a second. Not that matters, right? Because it feels right. It feels like shaming a dog into submission when they eat the chocolate, right? Never mind that the chocolate might kill them. You're more worried about making sure they don't take your precious Hershey bar ever again or whatever. Like It's like, we don't care if you're okay. We want you to feel bad. Yes. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it, it, like, it, it's 19th century thinking, right? Like it really is. It's, it's childish. No, it, it isn't because the 19th century, they were like mainlining opiates for fun <laughs> and fucking snorting mummies. You know what I mean? Like this is, well, not this everyone. is like new, yeah, I mean, not, not not all of us, but like this is real, like nineteen fifties, mm-hmm. like puritanical insanity. Like this is not just this sort of attitude is not just an outcome of it is long held. It goes way beyond that, but this is like an outcome of like the same shit that made white flight such a potent concept, mm-hmm. right? Like it's an outcome of a lot of of modern capitalists, like societal ills, in a way that. It's unique. It's it's a very American brand of new conservatism that's like pushing this, right? Like there was more empathy, you know, before that in the 19th century, even, right? Yeah. And then that's not even to say things were good. They were not. <laughs> but yeah, uh, 
despite shame and stigma's positive restraint effect on many human urges, this Ugh. guy also was not copy edited well. Um, anyone with a desire to push through a quote unquote progressive change for the alleged better will inevitably raise the negative specter of stigma and shame in the face of opposition often followed by raising the bedfellow of victim blaming. This, they feel, lends credence to their argument. The thought of shaming or stigmatizing will, so the social justice warrior, there it is, hopes, compel a meek capitulation from their opponents who ultimately seek not to be labeled regressive and heartless. Yeah, that was absolute travesty of a paragraph. It's word salad. Like, this this, this sentence is incoherent. Yeah, I, I think you're both right. Like, it, it's also like... It really plays into that deeply socially conservative idea that uh, the only thing keeping people from murdering each other is the law against murder. You know, like it's, it's such a, an antisocial way of looking at the world. Like the only way mm-hmm. we can keep people from doing heroin is to make them feel bad for doing it. What kind of like baby brain take is that? Like, where are we? This guy, this guy probably oh, bought a condo in East Hastings thinking the neighborhood would gentrify and is upset it's not happening fast enough. <laughs> like this guy like clearly want like and you know he just clearly wants to like drive down the street and pretend the society he lives in is good. Or he's a gen can I say that? Or he may be he is saying things that equate to um a form of, of soft uh, mass murder, right? A form of soft eugenics. It's like sort of the the thing of it and like also as we will see in the next paragraph the social justice warrior stuff is incredible because immediately in the next paragraph he's like the notion that stigma is harmful to those hurting themselves or others is obviously disingenuous (laughs) paradoxically it is also its own form of shame and stigma the difference is simply simply directional yeah that's the only progressive Yeah. Progressive shaming confers virtue on those who meted out for the right reasons, while regressive shame is the scorn poured on those who are uncomfortable with the idea that previously illegal or harmful activity should no longer be condemned. Okay, so what he's saying, what he's doing is he's creating an equation between people who shame and stigmatize him for wanting unhoused and people with substance abuse issues to die and equating it with his like being like i am brave for daring to stigmatize people on the margins of society <laughs> you getting mad at me for saying shitty things is the same thing as uh the shitty things that i say it's the same thing uh and i mean that's like, so funny listen this podcast oh is kind of a shame podcast we kind of shame columnists um we do it in a, a way that i think is fun and engaging for our listeners but like Okay, here we are. Here's the social justice warriors shaming you for one, you know, committing crimes against the written word. This thing is fucking dog shit. But two, like <laughs> this idea is so half baked. Like it only could come from someone with the ineptitude and, and confidence of a business professor with a three point three out of five rating on rateprofessors.com, right? What? What are the stakes? What are the stakes to the shaming that we're doing, Adam? Are you going to overdose, you know, drinking champagne in the wee hours of the morn or whatever the fuck your fucking Twitter bio was? Like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> dude. Fucking loser. God, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we in BC have a drug problem, to be sure. Opioid debts are intolerably high. The people afflicted need support, but incredulity at the decriminalization approach should be taken more seriously than it currently is. 
Anyone in Vancouver who has driven or, God forbid, God forbid, walked down East Hastings in our downtown east side can tell you that the lax approach taken in recent years has only created more suffering. Okay, so I just very quickly, uh, through the magic of editing, you will not have heard me do this. I pulled up the BC's overdose and drug poisoning data, right, from last year, uh, which actually very helpfully arranges calls by uh, community. Vancouver, very understandably, the highest population, the biggest city, had around 7,827 of the 33,000 calls, right? All these other major municipalities outside of Victoria have like a couple of hundred. You know what I mean? Like I'm looking at 1466 in Prince George, West Kelowna, 213, right? How many in Surrey? 2,800. Like Port Alberni, 375. Like, I, you know, it's it's not like every person on East Hastings is calling, has an overdose crisis, you know, like five times a year. The entire neighborhood has less than 33,000 people within it. It's actually a relatively small neighborhood for the greater Vancouver area. Like the opioid crisis is not localized to unhoused people. It's actually localized to people living in their homes, people who are laid off, people who are invisibilized mm. by society and whose crises and whose suffering you know, because of their um, issues with substance use are very likely a coping mechanism to other material circumstances picked up through, I don't know, work, you know, nominal substance abuse issues, precarity that that hasn't resulted in being unhoused yet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, chronic pain that isn't being so properly diagnosed and medicated, right? The, the ongoing suffering of existence, right? Like, living's hard. Basically, yeah, I don't know. But like basically this guy's trying to paint a picture that he's walking through like escape from New York and that's just bullshit, right? This is the thing that really bugs me is that his reference for East Hastings is anyone who's driven through or God forbid walked through. Yeah. Not someone who's lived there, not someone who works there, not someone who is there every day. Like these people aren't humans to him. Like they Not even a small business owner in East Hastings. Like not <laughs> like... even the guy who owns the coffee shop on the street or a convenience store clerk. Like, you're not even doing small business defense here. Yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> it's very, like, the last of us, where it's just like, this is a this is a lost zone. Like, we can't even, we can't even acknowledge these people. And I think that is very telling, that, like, the only opinions he's getting about East Hastings are people that are scared while they're driving their Lexus through it, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously. Uh, like, what's the wealthiest town in BC? It's uh, yeah, it's it's West Vancouver, and West Vancouver had sixty five calculated overdoses in twenty twenty two, right? Like White Rock, which is another like very well off community, had fifty five, right? Like Squamish, eighty six. Like, like you're telling me, like, what about those people, Adam? You know what I mean? What about the the people who who are there? Like, what what's your calculus for those people? Um, and of course, it doesn't exist. Like you would obviously be more compassionate to people in those neighborhoods who probably, not probably, some of them probably live in, you know, homes there and have their own substance abuse issues to deal with, despite their class position, right? Like he's ne never talking about those people. He's talking about the people he can see and who he doesn't want to see anymore. Yeah, because they're scary. They're scary to him, and he's a coward. And I like. I wish this didn't get like boiled down to the point that people of a certain economic position uh, become very cowardly around people who are poorer than them. 
But a lot of these columns end up getting to this point. It's just like, oh, you're scared. Like, I get it. Yeah, like Abbotsford, maybe the most right-wing city in the country, had had 1,641 overdoses last year. Like, what's what what approach are they taking that's working? You know what I mean? Like, because um, mm-hmm. their harm reduction policy is significantly more aggressive than Vancouver's or the BC government. Like, none of this makes any fucking sense. You know what I mean? This now godforsaken hellhole of human misery <laughs> that the neighborhood Christ. has become has been a a long, slow slide that began with neglect and is fueled by indifferent tolerance to drug abuse and crime. For years, politicians... We can stop there for a moment, because that sentence could be unpacked for three hours. Yeah, yeah, godforsaken hellhole. Doing a lot of work there. Um, (laughs) More than the devil himself, some would say. Take it fucking easy, Tom Clancy. Fucking Christ. It is like, it is a little bit fucking dramatic. Maybe calm down a little bit. Um, but it, it's. This thing reads like a 1940s, like neo noir. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> walking down the godforsaken hellhole of human misery in the rain. You know? By a hooker asked me if I want a good time, honey. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. no, I look at her and I feel pity. She was someone's daughter once. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like. The whole thing fucking feels like just fan fiction. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, oh, he God. wants exactly. to be the Punisher. He wants to be the Punisher. Yeah. Adam, Punisher, Pancrats. Yeah. <laughs> Indifference <laughs> to tolerance to drug abuse and crime. Well, yeah. I I really want to get stuck on this uh this long slow slide that began with neglect and fueled by indifference indifferent tolerance. Um. These these decriminalization laws came into effect this year. So it's been, what, like a month? It's been a month? No, this is a culmination. Culmination of coddling substance users, Eric. Don't you see? Oh, yeah. It's it's definitely coddling, imprisoning people for several years for simple possession of uh, of narcotics, right? <laughs> like, this is, if, this is beyond disingenuous. This is directly misleading. You can't just say that something is... Uh, is like causing the issue when it's just been put in effect earlier on in this column, he's talking about how these new laws are, are being met with criticism. And here he's talking about how like the government is to blame for the problem that exists now. It's, it's hideous. Like it is, it is completely incoherent. It's fucking, it's fundamentally broken. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how you redeem someone like this mm-hmm. at all. Um, for years, politicians, most recently Vancouver's former mayor, Kennedy Stewart, uh, have sought more allegedly progressive and less confrontational solutions to rampant drug use and addiction. The results are easily observable to any visitor. Again, not resident, yeah. any visitor <laughs> to that area uh-huh. of town. Head filled in garbage strewn streets of human suffering for blocks and blocks in Vancouver's historic center. All this despite a price tag of $5 billion per year on social services. It's not working. It's hard to see how further decriminalization will improve the situation. Well, yes, like he's right. It's not working because the solution to homelessness, the cost effective solution to homelessness is to give people homes. Yes. <laughs> the cost effective solution to substance abuse issues is safe supply like you know the all of these problems have solutions with with much smaller price tags unfortunately <laughs> that is not the um angle this man understands 
in addition to that also it's just very shallow and selfish going back to that earlier part like yeah he's concerned about the visitors and he's concerned about what's observable it's about his suffering yeah it's it's yeah it's about it's about his his pain right of having to see these people like just do their live their fucking lives he will never be affected by this that's the part Mm -hmm. that drives me the most insane is like he's never going to walk down east hastings he's never going to do anything other than drive down east hastings right like this guy has his own home in a gated community somewhere or some rich ass white rock neighborhood or south surrey neighborhood or whatever right like none of this actually will ever affect him in a meaningful way no No. and it's like i think he thinks this is a pragmatic, rational approach to this, but this is a complete emotional response to being scared of the visible suffering that he sees. And instead of actually approaching it as, you know, an adult with like a fully formed uh, <laughs> emotional quotient, he just wants them to be gone in whatever way in, that they can be. So whether that's prison, whether that's, you know, launching them into the ocean with a catapult like he doesn't seem too concerned about the solution. He just wants them gone. It's it's incredible. Have you seen this guy's face? It's infuriating. <laughs> His face is like real, like uh, real, like um, Aryan child grown in a lab. I'll put it that way. Like he looks like a proud boy. I'm not saying he is a proud boy. I'm not saying I'm not saying Adam Pankratz has any association with Canada's fascist right. Proud boys. Uh, um. Uh, you know, National Front, anything like that. I'm not saying that Adam Pankratz is a Nazi. Um, I am not saying that. I just want to point out, like, like, do not think of Adam Pankratz and Nazis in the same sentence. Do not create that word association that when you hear the name Pankratz, you immediately think neo-fascist. Don't. Do not yeah. do that. Don't. Under no circumstances should you attach the name Adam Pankratz two nazis yeah just just take a second take a second everyone listening to this take a second and think about how little you want to attach the name adam pankratz and nazi together you know do not create that long-term connection in your brain i urge you against it because it's not true okay okay are we all good i don't yeah yeah have we done it have we have we not created that word association okay now look at the picture right yeah yeah, and I'll look at the picture of him. <laughs> um, that will be happily linked in the uh, in the Texas article when up this podcast when I Jeremy Appel upload it. Hell um, yeah. <laughs> indeed, if the non-response to the homeless and drug problem in other Vancouver neighborhoods is any indication, it won't. In 2020, a homeless encampment in the Strathcona neighborhood that was left to fester ended with citizens attacked and newborn babies being threatened with rape and death with a stick. Call me old-fashioned, but I'd like to stigmatize that kind of behavior than pursue decriminalization. Like, yeah, I, I would... I would also like to stigmatize mental health issues, like the mental health of the person who wrote this article, yeah. um, who is again clearly not a Nazi. Um, <laughs> definitely don't don't combine those things. Um, but yeah, like it's completely insane. Like people who do and say these things who are unhoused with substance abuse issues. Oh, it turns out people with mental health issues are also much likelier to be on the street because our mental health care in Canada is completely broken. Yes, it's it's almost like we gutted our social services to take care of these people. It's almost like the liberal party that Pankratz ran for 
you know, was instrumental in breaking down BC's healthcare system. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, this new this new one is a is an all timer actually. Uh, quote unquote decriminalization or following the science are terms that have a sweet progressive ring, <sighs> and as such as the oft favored option for non active politicians on the entire West Coast. The problem is the science proves indeed very difficult to follow. If it exists at all, it does, Adam. Yeah. We can cite you a hundred people. Who can forget California's effective decriminalization of theft under 950? God, that was so cool. Yeah. How's that working out? The shuttered doors of San Francisco <laughs> shops scream a tale of woe, sorrow, and business dreams shattered. The rampant drug use there is also no positive harbinger for Vancouver residents. Okay, under effective decriminalization of theft, he um he links an article about San Francisco's shoplifting epidemic, which is so cool and good. Yeah. Um, like San Francisco, a place where almost every small business that's popped up in the last ten years is part of a tech bubble that's being like motivated um by people who got sweet bio packages from like Google and Apple and like decided to open up their tenth shitty coffee shop yeah. on like any random street like a tale of woe and sorrow this column tries to blame uh shoplifting for businesses going completely out of business by the way median rent in san francisco as of uh right now is three thousand six hundred and fifty dollars (laughs) us which that's that's east york money baby (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) well it's this is like why I feel like this this column is so childish to like try and blame shoplifters for stores going out of business in San Francisco is ridiculous when you think about the price of commercial real estate in like I would say one of the most inflated real estate markets in the entire world. Well, Vancouver and San Francisco yeah. both yeah. like they're they're notoriously like what your Vancouver, San Francisco, Dublin, Hong Kong, like those are your those are your your broken real estate markets that are just completely unlivable, right? Mm-hmm. I couldn't even afford a place in, in North York, let alone East York. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> I just honestly, like, it, it's such dog shit to read. This guy makes way too much money for his supposed expertise. I would like to see. Yeah, I would like to. He sh- I would like to see his, him fired and his paycheck go to you know I don't know, donate I to want, a warming center. Oh, I want to see his paycheck used to buy lots of of safe heroin yeah. that's distributed Hell to yeah. people who need it. Like correct. Yeah, I just Poetic. I yeah I want to see this guy. Again, uh, so many things I can't say now that I have a public-facing career, huh? Um, um, (laughs) Those days are behind me. Um, In Portland, following riots which torched and smashed the city in 2020, the police referred over 1,000 cases to the DA who declined to prosecute over 70% of them. Portland, a city once renowned for its cafes, breweries, and nightlife, is a hollow, unsafe shell of its former self. Okay, A, that's not true. B, um, who uh, who's been torching and smashing the uh, the city in uh, since twenty twenty, Adam? Yeah. Uh, what 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 white nationalist group that you have no affiliation with has been like making it a point specifically to stir shit up and instigate violence on Portland streets? Like what 
you know, I'm not saying Adam is associated with the Proud Boys. Please do not. <laughs> please do not think for a moment I am suggesting that. But, um, you know, like, I, I'm just saying, like, you know, this is the sort of stuff where it's like, what do Portland riots, what do, like, the fucking, you know, response to police shootings and pervasive political violence that Portland is unfortunately now renowned, like, known for have to do with people being unhoused yes what the fuck like he's just he's just getting this dig in there for no reason yeah it's right? like, oh also portland the riots in 2020 were about the death of george floyd and the incredibly racist police in a state in a state that once just illegal that made black people illegal at one point by the way yeah like oregon was founded as a haven for white people it, it's just like to throw this in is to have complete disdain for your audience because, like, just having the most marginal knowledge of world events in the last three years would immediately discount this opinion piece. This has nothing to do with drug use and homelessness. Yeah, and, like, if you were just Google, like, he links an article and stuff like that, but if you were to just Google Portland nightlife and just look at news, it's like, oh, man, like, so many articles... <laughs> about how portland oregon nightlife is lit you know what I mean? yeah <laughs> like yeah. like party in oregon this is what nightlife looks like in portland where where hashtag van life meets hashtag ski bum um you know i mean a comprehensive guide to portland's best nightlife the rundown too much live music in february to even track you mean you mean the poll from 2021 that he cited isn't an accurate indication of maybe all the things that are happening in fact, it's so like Portland is dancing again. This is from 2022. Portland uh, is one of the 15 most fun cities in the country from December of last year. Um, Portland police have even relaunched the entertainment detail in Old Town for whatever the fuck that's worth. Also, by the way, Adam, you know what else has happened between 2019 and now? A pandemic <laughs> that, hollowed out, that hollowed out the nightlife of many middle-sized cities, including Vancouver. Like, eat shit. Like, none of you know I mean? like, like, you think this is, this is, oh, George Floyd did this. No, the fucking, the fact that no one could go outside for two years may have also played a factor in businesses that you love so much with, like, razor thin profit margins like a lot of uh of high-end restaurants you know what i mean clubs things like that actually i guess clubs mint money but you know what i'm saying like fuck you um <laughs> it seems reasonable to ask if a little bit of good old shame and stigma here wouldn't help matters shame of stealing shame of vandalism shame of drug use we don't value these attributes as a society so so why no stigma were my daughter to behave in any of the above described ways, shame would be first on the list, followed immediately by stigma and repentance. That just oh, shows man. you're a bad dad. That your just fucking shows, daughter yeah. is going to hate your ass. Dude. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's like talking about how how much shame he would you know pile on his daughter for using drugs. It's like she's already going to feel shame if you're her dad. Like this is <laughs> this is so embarrassing. Like oh my god. <laughs> like, yeah, this is how this is how your daughter like just n doesn't talk to you again. This is how your daughter lets you end up on the street instead of putting on uh putting you in an old folks home. Yeah. Yeah. Um 
future estrangement issues written all over it, eh? Man, and also if his daughter like stole and vandalized, that would be so immediately cool. <laughs> cooler than her dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't know how old his daughter is, but I hope that listen, little Debbie Pancrats. Uh, that's not her actual name. I don't know what her name is. Uh, but let's just say, uh, younger Pancrats' daughter. Um, please do not make your dad proud. <laughs> so, I love this. I love this because I want you to listen to the next paragraph knowing this man has uh, around 1,100 Twitter followers. Um, in writing that, I can hear the Twitter elect sharpening their blades ready to pounce with murderous relish upon me and my ilk to hurl such opinions in the trash. No one cares about you on Twitter, dude. Yeah, I mean, absolutely no one. You, you have 1,100 followers and you're clearly like, that's fine if you're not a cloud chaser, but he clearly yeah, is. Yeah, this- this right. paragraph tells on himself like he's very clearly trying to do this to get rage like it's it's a mediocre yeah. attempt at rage bait right yeah fucking clout chasing cuck um <laughs> i hate this guy so much <laughs> this guys like this always do have a cuck fetish too like you know again i'm not saying i'm not saying adam pancrats <laughs> <laughs> i am not saying okay Adam Pankratz has a fetish for cuckoldry that he feels extra shamed about because he also has associations with neo-Nazis and weird thoughts about eugenics and uh, masculinity. I am not saying those are all things you should associate with Adam Pankratz if you were to go back through the list of every article he's written. That's not the underlying um that's not the underlying message and the underlying thing that he's that he's sort of communicating through his psychology. Okay, he's he's um, not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm not fucking saying that at all. Um, Eric, you better not cut the pauses. Now look at the picture of him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they would, as it were, seek to shame me to more considerate, empathetic, and politically acceptable opinions and behaviors. Shame, it would seem, is actually fine if only the it's only the political direction of its application that makes it offensive. I think we should shame people who want other people to die. Is like sort of my <laughs> attitude, right? It's like I would like to shame people who want who want other people to literally die out on the street or be criminalized yeah. for for a whole bunch of issues that are like genuinely a function of the society they live in. Yeah, and I, the circumstance. Yeah. I agree, Abdul. As I said before, and as I will say again, I won't couch it in flowery fucking I'm so smart language, uh, uh, Adam. I'll just say it very blunt. Yes, it is like valid to shame you for having these opinions, and it's not valid to shame drug users for using. Yeah, and it's valid for your daughter to eventually feel shame for you being her father. Um, <laughs> Jeremy, you made it to the podcast. Hello. We are literally wrapping up the article, Jeremy. <laughs> You're going to... For real? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, um, surprise. <laughs> surprise guest, Jeremy Appel. Um, can, we're reading the the last two lines. National Post, Adam Pankratz is a lecturer at the University of British Columbia Souter School of Business. <laughs> oh, this is the, this is the, the, the destigmatized stigma piece, right? Yeah. It was yeah. a really good episode. Oh, yeah. Actually, we had a good, good time. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah it's a yeah. shame you it's a shame you missed it yeah <laughs> we had we had the best time yeah i i can't re-record the podcast i i cannot <laughs> believe 
the lengths we will go to lower the bar in this fucking newspaper. In this fucking country, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's like discourse is getting so overly simplified and increasingly shitty. And honestly, we should be concerned about this because this got published in a newspaper. And frankly, there were paragraphs that were unreadable. Adam, like, you're a fucking loser. You should feel bad for existing the way that you do. And your ideas are dumb. And your students don't respect you. And honestly, we don't either. This column was the exact kind of mediocre attempt at rage bait that I think we all expected it to be. It's just incredibly harmful, so we had to read it. Abdul, any final thoughts? Yeah, I'm looking at the comments of this now. And, I um, and you know, National Post comment sections are like a unique pile of just trash. You know what I mean? Like, some of these are just, like, clearly eugenics arguments, like, uh, I couldn't care less about these people. They made their beds, or it's our children who are being exposed to these zombies. No, they're fucking not. My favorite one, though, is when people yeah, try to do math. Uh, Johnny Weisberger. <laughs> 2, 2.5 grams of cocaine in Vancouver is worth about $175 Canadian. That's not true. The street price of coke right now, please believe me, is, is $60 to $80. If the person has a stash somewhere and leaves that place with 2.5 grams at a time, he or she could be selling $2,000 of cocaine a day without any risk of arrest and without paying a penny of income tax. Vote NDP. Okay, a couple of things about that I really love is, you know, notoriously drug dealers and people who sell drugs, like, take incremental (laughs) amounts of that drug and go to where other people are, sell it, and then go back to their house and then get another incremental amount of that drug and then leave their house and go. I love it when my drug dealer decides to meet me halfway (laughs) across town with the tiniest yeah. <laughs> possible amount of, of drugs, right? I That's the coolest that's shit works. in the world when they do that. <laughs> it's not like I go... Yeah, it's not like I go to their house and they ask me to hang on their couch for two hours and it's really awkward and they're, you know, very strange people. But no, it's not bad. It's it's they come to me with like, with like a tiny amount of drugs. <laughs> Which all goes to the fact that none of these people know anything about what the fuck they're talking about, right? Like, they know nothing. They know absolutely nothing. And like what what really scares me is the fact that the comment section is just a lot of it like we should just let these people die, right? Like people who are like East Hastings could be some of the most valuable and beautiful real estate in the country. It's like who Yikes. gives a fuck? You know what I mean? Like, hey, it's not. It's not East York, the most beautiful and valuable neighborhood in the country. But also <laughs> like just the fact that these are what this is what people are saying is like it's quite disheartening and like I will say it's worth um, it's worth donating to. I wish I knew what sort of the BC safe supply orgs and harm reduction orgs are, but like you know, you should just go there and donate money. I'm sure Eric will find a bunch and throw it in the um, episode description. But it's like this is the battle you're fighting: is people who think other human beings should actually fucking die for a variety of causes that are systemic and largely, you know. I don't largely think you can say it's also their own, right? Um, and that's hideous. The fact that it's getting fucking traction in major newspapers sucks. Yeah, it's it's embarrassing just because it, it's such a it's such a lazy argument too. And like, of course, if you confronted someone like Adam about you know wanting homeless people to die and drug users to die, you'd be like, no, I don't want them to die. I just don't want them to exist in a way that I can perceive them. Yeah. You're taking my arguments out of context. And you're, to, not, you're twisting my words to sort of to sort of bolster what you were saying at the top of the episode, Eric. Right? Like, um, 
you know, he's not saying he's not again, I go back to the comment section. It's like Adam's very careful to not say he wants people to die, right? He's very careful to say it. But he's created a space that's enabling 490 people in the comment section to say exactly that, right? He's creating a space where everyone else can just take it one step further. And that's yeah. fucking yeah, hideous. It, this piece, like, although it is, like, comically bad, can actually cause real harm to discourse. And I think that is something that we always have to consider when we're uh, laughing at these pieces. Jeremy, what was your, your thought on the episode in the article? Uh, great episode. Uh, not a great article. I... Um, like I just pictured the guy taking like a massive bong rip and just breathing out and just being like, <laughs> yo, what if we destigmatize stigma? It's very like young conservative gets high for the first time. Like I think that's actually like a good call. Um Yeah. I don't think we should allow conservatives to have any access to substances, period. What also, what I also love is that this guy, when you look him up on social media and anywhere, all he can talk about is his yeah, love. he's a loser. Life. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, he is so... But like, but, like, this guy is, you know, possibly yeah. a substance yeah. user by any other name, right? Like, this man, this boy loves his wine. Like, Ooh. loves, loves, loves his wine, Right? And it's like, yeah, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's completely hypocritical. Yeah. All right, let's move on from this piece, Adam. <laughs> you should be embarrassed that you wrote that. We're gonna we're gonna destigmatize stigmatizing uh, jackasses writing in the National Post. Let's move on to our final segment of the show. We call it plugs and recs. We talk about the the stuff that we consumed, the content we consumed through the week that was not embarrassing and written by someone with a child's brain. Um, so, Marino, I'm going to let you start off. Did you read or watch or write anything cool? <laughs> no, well, I don't know. I've been playing a lot of the Metroid Prime remaster. That's how I've been uh, uh, healing the wounds of uh, being a capitalist uh extracted worker you, you uh, also read a very cool mortgage hey, document hey, hey, hey. what <laughs> anyways moving on that's it for me metroid prime remastered is very good actually though it's a really faithfully and thoughtfully done remaster on an underpowered system that employs some really creative tricks to really high res and already like demanding game for the system like i don't know the original metroid prime was like revolutionary and They've done stuff like run it at 900p rather than 1080p. It still looks fucking incredible. Uh, I don't know. Just employ a bunch of good loading tricks. Just a very smooth experience that it like it plays like a fucking PS5 game. I swear to God. Anyways, that's it. Yeah. Go go buy it. It's 40 bucks. It's actually not priced insanely. So, Yeah, I, I actually need to check that one out. Jeremy, we haven't let you talk for a bit so sorry about that but have you written anything or read anything that you think that the listener should check out yeah you know what on the on the orchard i uh for the the orchard cast as as i call it i interviewed uh ronwin tucker from the show and crystal lamman about a new book they are two of six co-authors of 
called uh, The End of This World, Climate Justice and So-Called So-Called Canada. Another friend of the show, Joel LaForest, is also a co-author. And I talked to them about sort of uh, sort of the difference between what an actual just transition is and what the federal government is saying their just transition is going to be. Um, sort of the importance of not looking at climate policy um, in isolation and uh, the challenges um, that there are in creating this broad-based plan to bring about a better society for us all while making our energy supply cleaner. And so I thought that was a pretty good chat. Um, there's also a Q&A, like I, I, I transcribed it and like quite heavily edited as a uh, Q&A like um, in, in writing. And then I less heavily edited the audio and released that separately. So, uh, you know, you could listen to it, you could read it. Um, and yeah, Hell Naomi yeah. Klein liked it on Twitter, so. <laughs> yeah, for you some shit, whoever's listening. <laughs> what about you, Eric? What did you watch, read, oh, thank play, you. write? Thank you, uh, co-host Abdul week. Malik. Honestly, great job, by the way, on Mike One today. You like you introed us. You did a really good job. It was nice to not have to hear my uh, stock intro every single time. Well, I've been editing podcasts a lot. I don't know if you know this. I I edit a few podcasts. Uh, I'm trying to think of, of things that come to mind that I've read. Um, and I, it freaks me out when I don't have anything to suggest because then people, you know, start rumors about me not being able to read. But I finished The Dead Center on a trip to Montreal recently. And uh, I thought it was a great book. It's Luke Savage's great critique of uh, liberal politics. And it's a critique from the left. It focuses a lot on the United States, but there's there's a, a number of essays about the liberals and Justin Trudeau that I think are worth uh, reading. And, and it's just it's very refreshing to hear people criticize liberal politics in Canada, because, I mean, I feel like when we watch the news, the only two political parties are the liberal party and the conservative party. And like the difference between those two groups is so 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 razor thin sometimes that uh it leaves a lot out so yeah check out that book check out all the podcasts that i'm editing these days including big shiny takes listen to the back catalog and this isn't really a recommendation but uh we have a big shiny thank you actually uh a big shiny thank you a big shiny thanks to uh qp local 3902 for uh, their financial support. We are on the Union Take now, folks. If you are part of Union Local and you want to support uh, media that is actually pro-labor and won't publish columns like the one that you just heard us read and scream about for the last hour, uh, send some money our way. You know, we'll, we'll, send, we'll do a thank you for you. And we'll also continue to make good content. But Abdul, it's, uh, I mean, first of all, thank you for being on the show. But... Do you have anything that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Uh, yeah, I, uh, you're all fucking nerds, by the way. Like, you're all just such fucking dorks. It's incredible. Like, it's it's amazed that at least 
two of you are in a relationship. I understand the third oh, one, but like, are um, you talking about us or our uh, listeners? <laughs> I love you, Marina. <laughs> I, was, I was like, don't talk about our listeners like that. He's talking about me. Oh, it's, no, the <laughs> listeners are cool. The, the listeners are cool, but it's like you know all this like political bullshit. Like, man, fuck that. I've been watching. Uh, I've been watching Last Chance You great documentary series on netflix about chads who have their last chance to make it to the big leagues i've been uh, i've been watching poker face which is a great investigative procedural show um i've been reading up a fucking storm of stuff i actually legally cannot talk about which is very cool um but uh, needless to say there are some good tv shows coming out this year um uh yeah you and you can find me uh well fourth mic of a show called big shiny takes um <laughs> definitely um you can also find me on twitter at marks gasol m-a-r-x-g-a-s-o-l my uh, first feature film if you're is streaming everywhere crave in canada a lot of places in the u.s if you're on an airplane, it's almost definitely on that airplane. Uh, it's licensed by all the airlines. Peace by Chocolate. Watch it. It's a great airplane movie. I recently wrote on Transplant for CTV, a couple of redacted shows for Peacock, and uh, well, one redacted show for Peacock, I should say, um, and some other cool stuff I'm excited to talk about. So yeah, keep your eyes on the space. I am a somehow a working screenwriter. And oh, oh. You can find my thoughts on the NBA trade deadline in uh, in the next issue of the Grind. Hell yeah! The best, the best alt weekly uh, on the planet, run by friends of the show. Uh, the whole editorial board. I'm actually not going to name someone specific, like specific people, because I'm going to because I'm going to accidentally cut people out because I don't yeah. know who the other two editors are. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, the Grind. You can find my thoughts there. Um, so yeah, lots of stuff happening. Uh, might have a book deal soon. I'll let you know if I do. Um, and it will also be a book for nerds by nerds, uh, much like what Jeremy's writing. But until then, until our next episode of Big Shiny Takes, folks, it's uh, it's been a pleasure, and thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. It's Big Shiny Takes, the only anti-free speech podcast. Big Shiny Takes, reading garbage for your brain. It's Big Shiny Takes with Jeremy, Eric, and Marino. Big Shiny Takes are sure to entertain, are sure to entertain.